Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Arms now wide. If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. Arms now Good morning. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Thank you for tuning in either, you know, on a live radio broadcast to signal uh, across the upper Midwest or in Hartford, Connecticut. And for those of you listening via a podcast, yep, this is a live radio show before you hear it as a podcast. Um, So we're excited to share it with you. You can always uh, go back and listen at MyFaithRadio.com. And you can also get all the links to all the things I talk about during the show. uh, in, including for those of you who were listening in the last few minutes of the last hour and you heard all those references to rivers drying up around the world and our need to make a thorough uh, study of what the Bible says about drought and famine um, and how we behave in the midst of both, um, those notes are uh, are going to be available um, when you click on the link at MyFaithRadio.com for today's show or wherever you subscribe and download your podcast. It's in the podcast notes. So there you go. The show notes are in the podcast notes or the show notes are the podcast notes or some such thing. Okay. So I want to touch on one headline before we get with our friend Adam Holtz about what's going to be on the big and increasingly smaller screens. Um, You remember Kobe Bryant. You remember that Kobe Bryant tragically died in a helicopter crash um, along with uh, his daughter um, and several other people. And there is a case now unfolding in Los Angeles because there were a number of people who responded, first responders, in this case, um, mostly people who were a part of um, the the police force at one layer or level or another, um, who took pictures of their bodies and um, shared them used them in ways that are grossly inappropriate. It was First of all, it was inappropriate for them to take the pictures. There was no legitimate reason from a law enforcement perspective um, or a criminal investigative perspective for these particular people to take these particular pictures in the way they took them, and certainly not for them to keep them and then share them with others. And so these photos and the people who took them and shared them um, is on trial. And it it is leading to a conversation about, first of all, why it is that we're so ghoulish and why we're so interested in um, rubbernecking when there is a car accident, um, or in this case, looking at these grim photos of celebrities in particular um, who have lost their lives in tragic ways. So that's one consideration and question and conversation to be having. Um, The other one is the fact that actually... Our use of horrific imagery to compel or restrict behavior is actually not new. Um, it, it actually is part of how we have discouraged particular kinds of behavior in the past. And you say, Carmen, what are you talking about? 
Well, in the 1960s and 1970s, um, across the country, there were highway safety programs that used grisly film footage and then converted it into um, movies that many of us, many of us, even into the early 1980s, watched in health class or in driver's education classes. Um, There's one particularly um, famous one. Um, and, and it actually turned into a series, um, and it's it's called, I mean, the 1959 version is called Signal 30. And it was this Highway Safety Foundation's, I mean, really grisly film that, I mean, we would now consider traumatizing. And it was sponsored by the Deerfield Volunteer Fire Department, but it, um, I, I, well, it, it, a recent showing, actually, Um and people are still like chronicling their trauma of when they when they saw this film in particular locations across the country. So um, it's not new. Uh, it does, I think, raise questions about why we're so fascinated um, with grisly images, like what that says about us and our appetites. But what's going on in terms of the trial in L.A. is worth considering on many, many levels. First of all, you know, how do we regard the human body? How do we regard human beings in both life and death? Um, what is appropriate and inappropriate? What is lawful and unlawful? All of those questions are going to be asked very, very publicly. And in the middle of it is a grieving family. And so I didn't want us to lose sight of all the grief in the midst of what is a very moral conversation about what we allow our little eyes to see. When we talk about what we um, what we watch and why we watch it and how we watch it and how we help our young people do the same, Adam Holtz comes to us from Focus on the Families Plugged In on a regular basis, and he's back today. So we're going to talk about She-Hulk. I'll just confess, I've never heard of She-Hulk, and I'm I'm not even sure I want to know, but I can't look away. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Adam Holtz is back from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find the reviews, or at least some of them, that we're talking about today um, at PluggedIn.com. Adam, good morning and welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Hey, before we talk about movies, can I riff on what you were just talking about? Sure. You have to remind people because there's like some people who like just jumped in the car so they don't know what I was just talking about. So the Kobe Bryant, what I'll call photo trial. Yes. Yeah, the mm-hmm. Kobe Brown photo trial was just bringing to court those who took pictures, <clears throat> excuse me, illegally of of the wreckage after the accident that took his life and the lives of many others, including his daughter. And you were just sort of, I think, tossing the question out there, kind of what that, what is that about? And uh, I think it's an interesting question because we live in a culture that remains in many ways really fascinated with death. And I think theologically it's worth asking the question, well, why? Why are we, why do we rubberneck? And I think um, on one hand, I think that there's something dark and twisted in that. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe called it the spirit of perverseness. Like we have this impulse to look on these things that we know are forbidden or 
you know, that we shouldn't see. Uh, and, and I think that <laughs> I'm not sure how much I agree with Edgar Allan Poe on, on other things, but I think he's right in that. And by the same token, I think death is not natural. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. And we try to understand it. I think as, as human beings, we want to make sense of this thing that was never a part of God's intention. And so in some ways, I think there's, I'm going to stop short of calling it a redemptive impulse, but um, we know in, instinctively that death is not right. And so I think that that we long to understand it, even though there's tremendous mystery there. And so I think those things all get wrapped up together. And, and maybe the spirit of perverseness wins out over, you know, some sort of spiritual desire to make sense of it. But as you were talking, it just prompted all of those thoughts because, you know, they're all there. It's really hard not to look at a car accident. I confess, you know, I read one article about Anne Heche's fiery death and I don't mm. need to read anymore, but it's those kind of stories that grab our attention. And, you know, the old, the old news saw is if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And, Don Henley wrote a song about it in the 80s, Dirty Laundry, that we just we have this appetite for for horrible things. And I think it's worth pondering theologically what that's all about. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you for taking us to all of those. Um, you know, I mean, no, it's really good. Right. Because I do think that each and every one of those is a conversational hook that we could use yeah. um, to talk about this. People are going to be talking about it in the culture and. Um, it's it's absolutely worth our, uh, you know, our our consideration, I guess, you know, maybe a part of this conversation is um, why do I mean, why do so many Christians spend so much time looking at the dead body of Jesus on the cross when he is risen yeah. from the dead? I mean, he's no right. longer there. That's not right. I mean, the crucified Lord matters. Absolutely. Right. And getting ourselves in front of the cross and acknowledging what happened there matters. Absolutely. But Absolutely. we don't worship a dead body. We we don't. No, we we don't. worship a living Christ. And so, you know, am I as drawn to, fascinated by, hungry for um, the ascended Christ, the resurrected and ascended Christ, as I am drawn to the broken, crucified body and the blood? Yeah. Like, I, I think those are the kinds of conversations that we as Christians can yep. have in light of um, what's going on uh, in this in this trial in L.A., all right. Well, now. And, and and even Go just ahead. what do we do with what do we do with death, right? No matter what yeah. you believe, you have to reckon with the reality that that death is inescapable. And so, we all have to grapple with with the question of what do we do with that? Okay, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, that's okay. We're going to um we're going to take a quick pause and then Adam and I are going to actually do a review um of She-Hulk. Yeah, because I've never heard of it, and I'm not sure that I want to, and yet, again, I can't look away. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. 
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In, where you actually can go uh, and read reviews of what's happening on the big and the small screen. All right, She-Hulk. I've never heard of it. I'm not sure I want to know about it. And yet, you know, I kind of want to click around and see what She-Hulk looks like. Well, She-Hulk is a female version of Hulk. (laughs) <laughs> she has been around in the comics. Yeah, I know, right? Why do why do um, we need that? Why do we need that? I don't, I don't know, know that okay, I will answer that question, but I think it's a good question. She's um, an attorney? <laughs> she's an attorney. Yeah, she is the cousin of Bruce Banner, who, of course, Bruce Banner is the Hulk. She has been around in the comics since about 1980 or so. Uh, actually, the, the first She-Hulk comic was the last comic that Stan Lee wrote um, as a as a writer. Uh, he was alive a lot longer, but that was his last sort of contribution to the Marvel Universe was, was She-Hulk's introduction. Um, She-Hulk and, well, her name is Jennifer Walters. <clears throat> She's a cousin of Bruce Banner. They are driving, and, of course, they have an accident when a UFO shows up, and they're both bleeding, and their blood intermingles. So... Bruce has a gaping wound. Uh, he's not in his Hulk form. And um, his blood drips into her body, and it turns out that they're genetically similar enough that, of course, Bruce Banner's blood has gamma radiation in it, which is what turns him into the Hulk. And she becomes a female Hulk. Unlike Bruce, she doesn't turn into this raging, senseless monster that's an ultra- I, you know, alter ego, a different identity. Um, she maintains her senses and her sensibility and remains the same person. And so, except she uh, appears to be green. Well, yeah, she turns green because that's the, all the time. Is she green all that, the time? No, she can, she can change mm. into she Hulk at will mm. and has most of the same powers that the Hulk has. So she's super strong. She can take a beating, that sort of thing. Um, this is in some ways a more straightforward Marvel superhero story than we have seen recently. Uh, and in other ways, it's about her trying to balance the expectation that she's supposed to now be a superhero with her desire to just continue to be a lawyer. She studied to be a lawyer and she doesn't really want to be a superhero. It's kind of been foisted upon her. Um, and so, that is um, kind of the story here. We just had the first episode debuted yesterday, uh, and we'll have to see where it goes. It's in the same kind of territory content-wise as we have experienced with pretty much everything Marvel's released recently. We get some some sexual innuendo. We get some profanity. We get, obviously, superhero-style violence. Um, but the core conflict here seems to be less about superhero stuff and more about the question of Jen Walter's identity. Is she going to reject this idea of being a superhero so she can be a lawyer or continue to, to pursue that? Uh, and as the story unfolds, we'll see that she finds a way to sort of fuse both of those things. I feel like I want her as my attorney because if we lose in court, you know, she can just go smush them. Well, but and she does probably... actually, she does actually have a Hulk scene in the middle of a courtroom when the courtroom is attacked by a bad guy. 
<laughs> okay. Um, all right. So notably, it's a sitcom on Disney Plus. So that yes. is going to move us. Can we have a conversation um, quickly about streaming and how streaming is really pretty much <clears throat> totally displacing uh, yeah. everything else? Yeah, we got news this week that the combined viewing on streaming for the first time has eclipsed cable television. Um, and so cable is a paradigm that is on its way out. And it has been replaced by, you know, the whole notion that we now subscribe to individual services that provide, you know, their own combination of content. Uh, I think for me, it's just a, another example of the fact that technology continues to shift and change. And the way that we interact with entertainment continues to shift and change. We're a long ways from, you know, the huge console TVs giving us a black and white picture that we got in the 1950s. And yet, in some ways, we're not very far from it at all. I mean, that was only about 75 years ago, really. So in the course of human history, it's not much. And at Plugged In and, and with what you do, Carmen, obviously we want to continue to think critically about what we're consuming and the platforms we're consuming it on so that we're doing that thoughtfully and that our faith is influencing that. And it's not just sort of the mindless consumption that our culture and those who help create it in many cases want to foist upon us. Okay. Um, let's pop back um, quickly to um, another review. Do you want to talk about look both ways, which is posted at pluggedin.com. Or do you want to talk about beast. Oh, you know, we can talk about or something else. Pretty, okay. pretty closely. I actually, was interested in one of the articles you sent me this week. Um, oh, sure. You can find find reviews of both of those. Look Both Ways is a story about a woman who uh, gets pregnant, and she um, it's one of these what-if-I-hadn't-got-pregnant stories. So it's like her life in two different formats. It's a romantic drama comedy, PG-13 on Netflix. Beast is Idris Elba versus a killer lion, and there's lots mm. of blood, and it's rated R. Honestly, that's all you need to know. All right, which um, which article did I send you that you wanted to talk about? Let's talk about Rhett McLaughlin. Yeah. So Rhett McLaughlin, <laughs> um, in his debut country album, um, breaks up with God. It's an entire album about his own deconstruction and really advocating it for others. Yeah, you know, and if you're like, I know that name. He has been one part of a duo that's done Good Mythical Morning, which is a, a podcast that is enormously popular and has been really clean and has expressed his, his up to this point, his Christian faith. And we find out <clears throat> in, this art, in this album, in this story, he's been in the process of walking away from evangelical Christianity for quite some time. <clears throat> um, I think the thing I want to say about this is uh, I, it makes me sad, right? I mean, I just – I think anytime somebody who has embraced the faith walks away from it and then talks about how awesome their life is now that they've finally given up all of that you know, restrictive stuff, it just saddens me. But as I was reflecting on it this morning, I thought, you know, I think believing something is harder than believing nothing. Uh, and, and I think that – the gospel offers us forgiveness. It offers us salvation. 
but it also asks us to believe that life isn't on our own terms. Uh, and I think we're living in a culture where feelings and where individual authority trump everything else. So I'm never surprised by these stories, but they really do sadden me uh, because here you have somebody who's had incredible influence, who is now influencing people, I think, in, in a really harmful direction. And he's doing it under the guise of, look how enlightened I am, you know, that I've replaced my faith with agnosticism and my life is so much better. And we've got to be around to help our kids and our grandkids sort through things like that when they happen, because they do happen. But we've got to be willing to talk about belief and what we believe and why we believe it. And the fact that other people in the world believe different things, if we want to equip our kids to be able to to really thrive in that environment. All right, we're going to have to leave it right there. Um, you guys can find the link to the Rhett McLaughlin Breaks Up With God um, in my show notes for today's show, which you're going to be able to find at MyFaithRadio.com and wherever you get your podcast. You can find what we talked about from Plugged In, and, and really you need to definitely read the um uh, the blog, and then listen to the Plugged In podcast episode, Your Kids and YouTube. That is really, really good um, this week for conversations. Adam uh, Holtz, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. You're listening to Morning with Carmen. We're going to take a break for Breakpoint. Divine spark. I don't know. I I want you to be the person who is inflamed, like literally full of the spirit of the living God, possessed of Christ and shining brightly um, among this generation. So if if you hear the divine spark language and you hear people refer to that, um, I want you to consider what it means to be filled and and filled to the fullness of the measure. of Christ, what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, why that looked like tongues of fire at Pentecost, why um, flames and fire are used as an image for the Holy Spirit, and, and how is it that we shine brightly as stars in the midst of the perverse generation in which we live? That's, those are Paul's words in Philippians. So want us to, it's not just a divine spark, like, right, let's fan that, let's fan that spark into redemptive flame. Um, all right, so many fire images in Scripture we could pull on there, threads we could pull on. Um, all right, sometimes you guys say, hey, I want to see Carmen live and in person. Where could I do that? Well, I'm actually going to be speaking in the spring at uh, the Christian Leadership Alliance Outcomes Conference. It's called Entrusted. It's March 28 to 30 in Chicago, Illinois. And um, on stage, not at the same time, I don't think, but along with me, we're going to both be there talking at the same place not simultaneously, um, but over the course of the event, is my next guest, Matt Markins. Um, He is the president of Awana. Um, He is uh, focused on child discipleship, and he's helping the rest of us become equipped to actually disciple emerging generations, what that looks like in our homes, what that looks like in our churches, what that looks like in the world. That conversation, I can spit that word out. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Children in the way they should go. Show them the lessons of the 
Joining us now is Matt Markins from Awana. Um, you have probably uh, heard me talk with Matt on prior occasion, but let me remind you, he's the uh, CEO of Awana. And prior to joining this particular ministry, he served in leadership roles with Randall House and Thomas Nelson Publishers. Um, and he is focused on discipleship um, for the family, for the child, and for the church. So we have talked on prior occasions about um, his book, Resilient, Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. And today we're going to talk about the latest findings from some research that Awana has done with our friends over at Barna. So Matt, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. So good to be back with you, Carmen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. Um, I want to talk back to school in just a moment, but I want to lead off with um, a conversation about what you learned and what we can learn from the latest research that Awana did with Barna. So maybe give us the top line findings. I think the one of the I'd say the most macro findings we as parents and, and church leaders, we have to look at our children through the lens of two phrases. I would call those cultural formation and counter formation. Cultural formation is how the dominant culture around our children is forming uh, them. You, you, you might call that secularism or post-Christian culture or even cultural Christianity. So that's cultural formation. But counter formation is a formation that says, hey, we're gonna, we can form our kids in ways that are counter than the dominant culture. And what would we call that? You and I would call that child discipleship. So I think that chief kind of highest level thought is as parents and as the church, we can't coast downstream. We have to have a proactive uh, plan. So that would be like the highest level umbrella plan is as parents and church leaders, making sure we understand those two dynamics that are happening. And without counterformation or child discipleship, our kids are probably just going to coast downstream. But I would say one of the, the chief findings within the research uh, reinforced something that we were already really learning a lot about, which is the power of one loving caring adult at your church. So if you're a parent and you and you are trying to disciple your kids, the big insight here is if you're at a church where other adults are are investing in your children, discipling them, connecting with them relationally, children who have other adults in addition to their parent investing in them in church, the words we use Carmen are it's no comparison. Like those children are far more likely to be engaging in the scriptures volunteering, feeling a sense of belonging in their church community, and remaining in the faith into young adulthood. So that was probably the chief big finding from the research. So it's really, um, I mean, there's nothing comparable to someone outside of my parents participating actively in my discipleship when I'm a child. And so um, when we see pastors, um, you know, struggling to get people to quote-unquote volunteer to be in the church nursery, um, to, you know, to give up one Sunday a month to serve yeah. the children and the families of the church. I mean, and they're and they're begging for help. Like that's actually an indication that we as the church do not get it. We do oh, not we get, get that this responsibility to raise up the children in the way that they should go. You know, with the with the with the hope and the promise that when they are adults, they won't depart from it. That's actually a commitment we all have to make together to emerging generations. Correct. And I think one I think one area where pastors, I don't think fully comprehend this is when when adults engage with children, 
they are actually engaging in discipleship activities. So what what does every pastor want? They want their people to 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 be discipled and to get involved in discipleship. But when you get adults engaging with children, they're learning more and growing more through that process than they are in their you know you know half attendance to a, a local Bible study. And so when you get loving, caring adults engaged with children, you're actually seeing discipleship happen across generations. So if I was a pastor. I would, I would cultivate a community where kids are loved and seen and known and cared for. I would be a child advocate, uh, and I would build that culture. And I think pastors are going to see the whole culture of discipleship lift, not just with children, but across all generations. There's a, um, there's a guy in the church that I attend. Um, he's, I don't know, he's probably in his mid-40s. Um, he's single. He's always been single. He's a, a very um, accomplished business entrepreneur. Um, he is a cyclist, like he's, you know, fitness is kind of, I think his sideline activity and he is committed, um, and has been committed for a number of years to like teaching in the two and three-year-old class. Yeah. So it's, you know, he's committed to them. And so, you know, they, they grow up loving that guy and knowing that, um, that, you know, children's ministry isn't just done by women. Um, it's not just done by moms. Like, right, there there are men in the church who love children who are not, you know, quote unquote, their own, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Like every little kid is either going to be my brother and sister in Christ um, or they're going to be working counter to Christ in the culture. And so I have a vested interest, right, in in their formation and their discipleship. Imagine, imagine a church where in the in the lobby or in the foyer of the church, when children approach uh, the men in the church, there's men listening right now. Th- this Sunday, what if you got on one knee and got down at that child's level and fist bumped them and looked them in the eye, asked them about that basketball tournament? If their parents have recently divorced, ask how you can pray for them. Like imagine a community where we see kids, we get on their level. Those children. We know their they, names. Let's just yeah, start we with we know them. their names. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those yeah. children, when they face the challenges of life and they're looking for a sense of comfort and belonging, where will they turn? They're going to turn to the church because it's that place, as you just said, they were known and they were cared for and loved. Awana is a worldwide nonprofit ministry focused on providing Bible-based evangelism and discipleship for children ages 2 to 18. We are focusing today on those 13 and under. Why is that, Matt? Why are we focusing on those aged 13 and under? Well, we've all heard that phrase. Many of us have heard that phrase, the canary in the coal mine, right? Like when our great-grandfathers would go deep under the earth to to mine coal, they would take a canary in a cage uh, because the canary was so sensitive to the deadly gases that when the air would get too toxic, that canary would fall over and die. That was their, you know, 1890 dashboard. And so... So, but in the church, we've looked at the canary in the coal mine as the age 18, meaning past 18 is when, is when uh, young people are leaving the church. But what, unfortunately, what we've misunderstood is just like the canary in the coal mine, it's not when the canary fell over, it's what deadly gases were leading to that. The, the Barner research shows that 94% of most human beings come to faith uh, by the age of 13 or no excuse me not 94 of all human beings have worldview that's largely set by the age of 13. so we're trying to get these students prepared by the age of 18 with a with a shaped informed worldview 
when worldview formation is set mostly by the age of 13. So what does that mean for us? Just like those working backwards from those deadly gases to identify, we've got to move that back, that child formation back into ages five, six, seven, and eight. Those are the ages that are leading up to age 13, where faith formation is largely set. And so we've got to think about child discipleship every bit as much as we're thinking about teen and student discipleship. So I've met a couple of women um, who, you know, because they wanted to meet the needs of their own kids and they didn't find what they were looking for, you know, out there in in sort of the already produced marketplace. Um, Elizabeth Urbanowitz um, has developed, it's called Foundation Worldview. It's a great yeah. curriculum. Mm. And then um, um, this gal who I just met who lives here locally, she's developed something called Filter First. And um, it's it's on the social media front. Like, how do we get kids to filter first before they start engaging in um, in some of those uh, social media platform activities that we know are so harmful and destructive? Um, And so I do think that I mean, literally, there's just Christians moms out there like creating resources. And so when we talk about resources and we talk about um, accessing resources, I'd love to um, have you share with us what's um, what's coming up in September um, that Awana is offering to everyone um, yeah. in terms of the Child Discipleship Forum and how people can access it online for those who can't travel to Middle Tennessee. So we're going to continue our conversation with Matt Markins here in just a moment. Um, you can check out what we're talking about at Awana, A-W-A-N-A dot O-R-G. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Suzy Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine? Search Suzy Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. We're continuing our conversation with Matt Markins from Awana. You can find Matt at Awana, A-W-A-N-A dot O-R-G. Matt, talk with us about um, where we can go to get the kind of equipping that you're talking about. Um, You know, where can we engage with a model of child discipleship that, you know, actually meets kids where they are in the realities of the culture today and then moves us forward? I'm going to talk about just two or three quick resources. One one of them is for parents. Uh, uh, you guys are probably very familiar with Christian Smith's research, but we were very encouraged that uh, his most recent book really supports uh, a lot of what we've been trying to say, which is that talking, parents talking with children is uh, is really one of the most key behaviors that we can do to build faith in children and to disciple our kids. In business, we talk about KPIs or key performance indicators, but talking is essentially a KPI or like it's a key indicator that we're doing the right thing. So if I'm a mom or a dad or a single single parent or even a grandparent, just developing the skill of dialogue and talking is building the conduit for discipleship to take place. That sounds so rational, logical, common sense, but in many homes today in the isolation epidemic and with what's happening with social media consumption, talking is just not happening. So when we talk with our children on a consistent basis and they're talking back with us, Oh wow, we have we have we have what we need to enter into a discipleship relationship. So we have created a, a resource for parents called Talk About. And if mm-hmm. you Google, 
if you Google talk about Awana, I believe the URL is talkaboutdiscipleship.com. So if you Google talk about Awana, you're going to see the talk about resource. And it's a subscription for families and parents and homes. I think it's $5.99 a month. We give you weekly uh, everything you need to have ongoing dialogue and conversations with your children about the gospel, about the Bible, but also about like like social events. So we have like a whole unit, for example, on like, how do you talk about bullying or how do you talk about difficult circumstances with your children? And so this resource, I think, is super, super helpful for parents. And I love that Christian Smith's research is continuing to reinforce that when parents are talking, their good discipleship can happen. Okay, that's so good. So that's talkaboutawana.com. That'll get you to the digitally delivered talk about resources for your family. Um, let's also invite people to the upcoming um, Child Discipleship Forum. This is this is only our second year, and we are about to sell out uh, in, in Nashville and Franklin, where the, the on-site is located, but it's also available online. So if, you're, if, some, if any of your listeners are thinking about coming to the Nashville event, I would highly encourage they register in the next 48 hours because we're about to sell out at the Nashville location. But it's also available online for individuals or for teams. So if you're if you're in a state several states away from from Nashville, you can you can register as a team and watch in the conference room or th there's also a 30 day replay. So you've got plenty of time to catch up as a team to watch this. But what the Child Discipleship Forum is all about, it goes back to those kind of two terms at the beginning cultural formation and counter formation. We give you insights, whether you're a parent or a church leader, we're going to give you insight into how is the culture forming my kids. You're probably going to learn about things you didn't know about, about culture and technology and the sexual revolution and how all of these things are, are pressuring in on our children. But we're also going to give you great insights on the primary factors that lead to lasting faith in children and what your church and your families can do to uh, help your kids uh, grow in lasting faith. All right. So um, you can either join in person, you know, if you want to come to Nashville or online um, as well. And so that is um, that is great. So the the 2022 child 2023 child discipleship forum is what we're looking for. And it's September 22 and 23, but it does have that 30 day replay option. And so um, if we come um, either online or in person, like what, what is your one hoped for takeaway? Like, you know, I, people are going to invest time. They're going to invest money. What, what's the takeaway they can hope to leave with? Well, you saved the biggest question for last, I think, because the, the big take, the theme for the week is the old map and the new map of children's ministry. Children's ministry in the West, in the United States, uses what many are calling an old map like it was built based on 1970s and 80s assumptions but we're still using this map today but we know a lot more now than we did then about the primary factors that lead to lasting faith we know more about the culture we know more about mental health and all the edutainment and all these other methodologies we're, we are still using but we just know a lot more and so we've got to move to the new map that's going to lead to lasting faith in a post-Christian culture. But unfortunately, many churches, I think, are just unaware of how we got here culturally, but also local church. So I think it's setting the course for the next decade of where the church is going in faith formation, in child discipleship. And it's a pretty, pretty important conversation. We hope you guys will join us. 
Uh, Matt, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for what you're doing every day. Um, thank you for partnering with Barna in this children's ministry in a new reality um, research and then sharing it with us. Folks can um, visit with Matt online and actually find all the resources that we were talking about today and links to them at Awana, A-W-A-N-A, Awana.org. Matt, blessings. Good to be with you. Thank you, Carmen. Yeah, I'm going to see you soon. I look forward to it. All right, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. The Farm Report is up next. I'm going to live where the green grass grows. Watch my corn pop up in rows. Every night be tucked in close to you. All right, the big word, um, the big word in the Friday Farm Report is chiggers. Chiggers. And I recognize that many, 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 many people are not subject to these invisible, um, awful, terrible beasts. But um, the chigger is, it, it, yeah, they're terrible. I, I don't even have another word for them. Um, malevolent. And so um, I have been a person who, uh, well, I've had a chigger, a personal chigger infestation <clears throat> of late. And so let me just tell you, you you want nothing more than one of those pot shards to, to scrape your skin off when um, when you are infested with chiggers. And, and you say, well, that just sounds disgusting. Yeah, it is. So um, chiggers, they crawl up from the ground or off of, um, you know, leaves that haven't been mowed recently, like high grasses and those kinds of things, which obviously we have a lot of in our fields and in the woods where we, uh, you know, where we live. So it's not really that they're coming up from your your yard, but they're coming up from everywhere else. And it's not the adults you have to worry about. It's the thousands of um, of babies. And so, yeah, they uh, they jump on wherever, uh, wherever they can uh, onto your clothing and then they find their way. Um, to your skin, and then they like to migrate to the warmest places, and that's then where they take a bite, and they're doing that so that they can feast. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting, and you want nothing more. You can literally feel your—you can't see them. They're, like, microscopic, but you can literally feel your skin crawling, um, and then you want to scratch it off because what they leave behind are terrible bites. So good news in the Friday Farm Report, after that horrendous bad news that makes everybody want to go take a shower, um, where there is great progress, great progress being made on the three-story deluxe deer blind or wildlife observation treehouse or glorified grandkid fort, however you want to think about it. Um, Jim, my Jim, has learned how to run solar electricity and so he's wired it for solar and he built a big solar array because you know they want to be able to have a light in there or run their I don't know they're going to have some electrified things in their beautiful thing and he's made these gorgeous windows and yeah I will uh, when it's done post pictures right now I'm in the market for eight by eight carpet that you can sleep on yeah that's what I'm in the market for right now uh you know if you got leads for me on an eight by eight Rug. I need a finished rug because I, I can't really put down like regular carpeting in an eight by eight space because, you know, it only comes like 13. Well, it's just ridiculous. Anyway, I need an eight by eight rug. That's what I'm currently, you know, looking for. That might consume. Oh, I'm going to move my niece into college today and tomorrow. That's going on. I know the Friday Farm Report's quite full. I love you guys. It's been fun to be with you during um, Steve week.
not really Steve week, but hi, Steve. And um, yeah, have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.